Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are here with quite an accomplished guest this week. He was the three-time Asian junior champion. He's a streamer. He's written two chessable courses with Grandmaster Shahej Grover, Lifetime Repertoires, London and Catalan. Uh, he's an author, a YouTuber, Twitch streamer, but became, becoming best known as one of India's top trainers, working with young talents, beginning with uh, top Indian GM, GM Vidit, and now with Nihal Sarin, Aryun Aragasi. Um, he's worked in the past with Grandmaster Ranak Sadwani, and he's and we're catching him at a great time because uh, both Sarin and Irigazi have just won events at Tata Steel India, and it's just must be an incredible time to be one of India's top rising trainers, top trainers in the world, and uh, just an cr- incredible time to be a chess fan. So let's welcome Grandmaster Srinath Narayanan to the show. Welcome, Srinath. Hi, Ben. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your, the fantastic introduction. And uh, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, I'm honored to speak with you. Uh, such an accomplished career. You're only 28 years of age. And it just, to me, from the outside looking in, it feels like uh, things are just accelerating with the success of your students, your platforms across uh, social media. I'd, you're one of these people who, I don't know how the, you find the time to do everything you do. You're often traveling with your students. But I feel like we should begin with Tata Steel India because you're aforementioned and I know you've worked a lot in the past with these aforementioned students. Uh, you can tell us exactly what your role entails now. But I wanted to begin with a quote from an interview you did with uh, Sagar Shah of Chessbase India a few months ago. He The interview was primarily about Grandmaster Irigasi, uh, who just won the Blitz event 
um, after Nihal Saren won the rapid event in Tata Steel. And we're talking about a tournament that features Nakamura, Wesley So, Mamad Yarov. So we've got these young Indian teenagers toppling some of the best players in the world. And the quote was, uh, referring to Indian and Uzbek young talents in particular, you say they play, they play the kind of chess that you usually see from the absolute elite, but with the energy of youth. So I would just love to hear you riff on that. Love to hear more about that, Grandmaster Srinath. It uh, it has been a bit of uh, a revelation for uh, me as well, Ben, because uh, I didn't I didn't expect this to happen in uh, 2022. To be honest, uh, I I I always felt that the current crop of talents in this generation they are uh, some of the best I have seen. But I expected things to happen somewhere around 2023, 2024. I think the Olympiad in 2022 was a bit of a turning point in terms of uh, Gukesh's incredible 8 out of 8. That was that has been one of the most impressive performances I've seen in chess to date in my in my experience, direct experience, and uh, also uh, them beating. Uh, the elite players like Fabiano Caruana, Gukesh defeating him, Abdus Satru defeating him. Uh, it really, it really made me wonder if they have already reached that point. If they have already reached uh, the elite uh, level. In the past generations, based on my secondhand observation, it, it it took a bit of time to go from 2670, 2680 to beyond 2750. But here it seems like they have really accelerated this generation this group of uh, the top juniors. Um, so yeah, I uh, it has been a bit of a revelation for me. I thought this would happen in the 2024 Olympiad, this uh, group of juniors challenging the elite, but uh, they have come at it uh, very fast. And even, even despite watching them up close, I'm uh, a bit pleasantly surprised at how quick they have risen to the top. Yeah, it's hard not to be surprised. Now, what do you, obviously, we talk a lot about increased technological tools. You mentioned to uh, Sagar Shah that, of course, everyone who can run a cloud engine has access to players leaps and bounds better than even Magnus Carlsen. But nonetheless, to be able to assimilate the lessons that these engines learn, do you have any insights on what particularly uh, these young talents are doing in order to uh, learn chess faster than anyone in history it seemingly did previously? I think a few key differences is uh, they started playing against the some of the world's best players when they were uh, at a very young age. I remember uh, Nihal was uh, playing against Hikaru sometime as early as 2017. It was a bunch of these uh, 3 plus 0 online games, but... Uh, you really have to play uh, very strong even in a time control like uh, 3 plus 0. You have to uh, know, you have to work your way through the openings, not get uh, lost directly from there. And from then on, you have to make uh, very strong moves in a matter of few seconds and you have to be tactically very sharp. Uh, but yeah, uh, before going too off topic, I think a key difference is that they started playing against some of the world's best players from the age of 11 and 12. And uh, compared with the previous generation where, you know, even becoming a grandmaster was like uh, a massive achievement. I think it really helped for them to see that they could play and uh, win against some of the world's best from a pretty young age. So psychologically, uh, they were not... Uh, 
that overwrought by uh, the best players in the world as the previous generation might have been simply because of better opportunities now uh, so even 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 uh, if we go to the magnus carlsen generation uh, he did play gary caspro and uh, people like vishy a few times but i think not not when they were as young as the current crop of uh, this generation's talent this match you're referring to uh between grandmaster sarn and nakamura was this just like a casual um a casual match online or i mean obviously these players are going to take it seriously but this wasn't part of a tournament it was just uh they just started to play uh yeah it was just a casual match online um hikari used to i think uh, enjoy uh, playing against uh, a lot of these top juniors he played a lot against uh, alireza during those times just 3 plus 0 casual online uh, against nihal uh, which i used to kind of watch directly in front of me uh, he played quite a bit with uh, arjun as well so these are these are uh, things i used to watch uh, live in 2017 observe how things are changing and uh, i do remember that it also was a profound uh, effect when uh, Nihal defeated Hikaru for the first time ever in their casual match after losing maybe like 10 or 15 times and uh, it really helped his self confidence that uh, he could uh, defeat some of the best players in the world now Nihal was something like 2300 or 2400 at that time uh, it's it's a rating where you know you're struggling to score points against 2500s and 2600s but then if you're able to beat one of the best players in the world uh, it makes it that much easier to you know face uh, other grandmasters uh, so i think psychologically it, uh, that has uh, had a big effect on how this generation has been able to improve rapidly so you mentioned you were there when when nihal had this first win um you've mentioned in prior interviews uh, i think it's well known especially in india that you you travel uh with nihal and often were chaperoning him in recent years so um how how was his reaction did he act like it was a watershed moment when he beat uh nakamura for the first time or did he t- kind of take it in stride uh i do remember that he was uh, he felt quite good and uh, this came after a lot of defeats when uh, you know typically against hikaru you can get good positions a lot of times because he's not always playing at his best but uh, it's that much harder to actually win the game because hikaru is just amazing at uh, resilience and uh, it's 3 plus 0 with no increment so your time's ticking down you might you might have a massive winning position but uh, you still have to checkmate him on time which is uh, very challenging and nihal had a few of these winning positions which he couldn't convert and then it finally happened and he felt uh, uh, really good about it and i do remember telling him that look you can do this to ikaru and you can do this to anyone in the world you just need to play them enough times uh, amazing to hear and now of course they're they're they've only accelerated from there uh grandmaster agacy is number 26 in the world 19 years of age on the live ratings here on december 4th and uh grandmaster sarin 18 years of age number 70 so as they sort of reach this rarefied air does their approach change uh do you sense like increased confidence from them as they continue to uh to put up these incredible results uh i certainly uh, 
sends increased confidence as far as uh, Arjun is concerned. Uh, he has uh, been uh, moving from uh, one victory to another in the last two years since uh, the pandemic. Nihal has been having a bit more of a tougher time in recent times. Uh, he, uh, I think he, he has been struggling a bit more since the pandemic. Uh, although he has kept uh, improving steadily, it hasn't been at the same pace as uh, his peers. But uh, I think for Nihal as well, uh, things have been looking up in recent times. He won the Chest Outcome Global Championship and he won the Tata Steel Rapid. Uh, so, uh, it, it, I, but with Nihal, I think it's still more of an ongoing process. I, I feel that uh, his confidence and the self-belief is not quite at that level proportionate to his playing strength. I think he can, uh, it can, it can be more. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because of course he's, he's had an incredible arc. He's had amazing success, but as you mentioned with Irigasi, uh, putting up incredible results and obviously Grandmaster Gukesh, as you alluded to in the Olympiad, um, just, um, also, and, and not to mention Pragananda and so many others, uh, I can, I can see how it, one could, one could construct like a narrative where they're not doing that well when obviously they are. Uh, so as, as his trainer and his friend, uh, what, what do you tell him to, to keep him encouraged? So uh, I think everyone has to go through a period when things get difficult. Uh, it just happens at different moments for different people, but uh, they kind of inevitably have to go through phases where they get stuck and uh, they just have to persevere through it. So this is what I told Nihal that uh, I understand things are getting incredibly frustrating at the moment for you but all these experiences will help shape him in the future and uh, will help him in some way in the future so not to get too disheartened by it and keep keep grinding keep persevering okay and from a chess point of view um what what aspects of the game uh do you i mean both with uh, Grandmaster Zeragasi and uh, Grandmaster Sarin, what are they working on primarily? Uh, so I think the shift has uh, focused um, much more towards uh, openings in recent times with uh, with their uh, levels increasing. Uh, they uh, don't they don't play as much as they used to uh, when they were uh, a bit lower rated so the focus has turned a lot more towards openings but then when we talk about openings uh, it uh, it can involve uh, all aspects of chess because we see opening preparations reaching up to quite a bit of depth Arjun showed it in uh, his recent game against Nihal where the preparation went on till almost the end of the game 35 moves I was good I was gonna ask you about that <laughs> that's that incredible um, exactly uh, so, uh, I would say, you know, if we uh, talk about breaking down aspects of chess improvement, uh, some of the components, key components is uh, just playing chess, which happens a lot when uh, you start out, uh, observing how other people are doing it, how other, you know, observing just the top level games or just observing your friends games, uh, just different kinds of observation. And uh, I think the third component is just uh, analysis. So when you talk about analysis, uh, it's it's a bit hard to define sometimes, but uh, essentially you're just 
asking questions and uh, trying to figure out answers and going as deep as you can and uh, how this is relevant to the question and uh, question right now is that uh, when you analyze chess openings you are basically analyzing uh, many different components of chess which can go all the way till uh, the end game and it i think i think it can also improve one's general understanding of chess as a whole yeah um it certainly was the case in in this game that you alluded to so for for listeners uh there's a nice write up by peter doggers on chess.com um but what he's referring to what graham what grandmaster srinath is referring to is there's a line uh, that was all opening prep uh, where Irigacy was white against Sarin in the last round of the Rapid. And there's a position where white is down two pieces but has a passed pawn and plays this amazing uh, prophylactic move to stop black from stopping the pawn. But it, it really looks like a study. And uh, according to Irigacy, um, it was 100% prep, the the idea that he was ready to unleash. I'll link to it so that listeners can uh, check it out on your own time. But just to give you the context, uh, Grandmaster Anand was quoted in this article on from the broadcast saying, that's simply one of the most beautiful lines I've seen. I've never seen prep like that before. So definitely just a whole new world for that to for this to be unleashed all the way on move 35. And I'm curious, um, Grandmaster Srinath, as someone who works with both players, if you had any role in the prep for for either player in that particular game. Uh, so in this particular instance, uh, I had absolutely no involvement. Um, so I think Arjun, uh, it was uh, it was mainly uh, Arjun's work all through. Uh, he uh, he had some idea till. Uh, uh, I think about move 20 or so from one of his other helpers and but he really uh, deepened the variation he deepened the analysis on his own and uh, I think all credit goes to him there okay and obviously uh, Grandmasters Eric AC and Sarin are friends um, but are there situations like if if they're both playing in the same tournament, are you able to help either of them? How does how does that work? So uh, in uh, recent times, uh, I think sometime uh, past the pandemic, post twenty twenty one, I have been uh, spending a lot more time with uh, Arjun more than uh, Nihal. I think the shift happened uh, sometime around uh, mid twenty twenty one. Uh, first of all, uh, I think the pandemic was a turning point in many ways because uh, till that point I was uh, accompanying Nihal almost everywhere and uh, we uh, we had a lot of plans post-2020. Of course, it didn't happen post-March-April and uh, uh, with Nihal it became a bit difficult to communicate things online, you know, to just keep things going online. We uh, really missed those uh, physical moments where we uh, spend time together. And uh, sometime around, uh, uh, so I also also started working with uh, uh, more people post pandemic till uh, till that point I was exclusive with uh, Nihal, but uh, post pandemic I started working with more people. And uh, post 2021, uh, uh, I have been spending more time with um, Arjun than anyone else. Now, when it comes to uh, them playing in tournaments, it uh, really depends on uh, 
the agreement we have before the tournament. So, for example, um, I worked for uh, Arjun in uh, a few tournaments this year, the Tata Steel, uh, the Sigaman, the ECC, some of the stronger tournaments that he played. And uh, on the other hand, I went with uh, Nihal to Abu Dhabi Masters post the Olympiad, which was won by Arjun. But uh, yeah, it, it, it depends on uh, the agreement we have before the tournament, whom I'm helping for that particular tournament. And uh, if they do play against each other, I don't think I'll be helping either of them. It just I just don't see how, because I just have too much information about both of them. That makes sense. And from a, from a personal perspective, obviously, you're extremely accomplished uh, in all aspects of chess. But nonetheless, like your students um, are now reaching this this rarefied air where they can beat literally anyone and are beating literally anyone. Um, do you have moments where you sort of step back and are just a little taken aback by by this uh, rapid ascension? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, as I said earlier, I didn't, I didn't expect it to happen this fast. And uh, it, it, it feels amazing because you, there have been times when I have been beaten so badly by both of them. And I used to feel so bad about <laughs> myself. But then when I see them doing it to some of the world's best players, uh, it feels it feels a whole lot better. And uh, it's a very proud feeling as well, seeing how far they have grown up and uh, where they stand right now. I, I can only imagine. And how does your training change? What sort of when they were ascending and you were clearly stronger than them? Um, what sort of exercises did you give them then? And what what's the nature of your work now? Um, so perhaps one part which has changed a bit is that um, I'm, uh, I'm not as effective in playing training games with them anymore, which used to uh, be a very uh, important component, uh, especially in my training with Nihal. Uh, I think almost 50% of the time was just spent uh, playing endless training games, endless blitz games. Uh, we would uh, sometimes just start the game, start the training session with uh, some warm-up blitz and uh, then work on some uh, concepts, work on some uh, openings and middle game positions. And uh, then we'll get back to playing games whenever we felt like taking a break. But uh, I think that's one component which has changed a bit because now it's really one-sided and uh, they have become so much more stronger. Uh, but uh, with both Nihal and Arjun, uh, I never uh, worked in this conventional way of uh, setting up positions and having them solve. Now, uh, with Nihal, this was, uh, uh, this was almost an approach that he has never taken in his formative years. He, uh, I don't think he has uh, uh, ever uh, solved so much in terms of uh, just keeping positions, setting them up and solving. So uh, not, 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 a, not a lot has uh, changed on that front. Now, um, at the present moment, it uh, the insights that I have to offer, they are uh, Uh, they, they, are, they are still uh, many of the things uh, that come from experience, like just sensing the opponent style, sensing uh, where, uh, sensing uh, their own strengths and weaknesses, the common mistakes that uh, uh, they are making. 
uh, and uh, what would uh, work better against a particular opponent or uh, not work better so uh, to maybe uh, clarify things they are incredibly good at playing chess but uh, they still don't have experience in uh, some of the other components of uh, working on chess which comes from experience and uh, these are some of the areas where i can uh, offer insights at the moment apart from uh, just you know some uh, pure opening work pure analytical work okay yeah i was really struck in your interview with uh, sagar shah where you mentioned that irigesi uh really hadn't studied the classics at all <laughs> that that he was uh he had learned primarily also from not from reading books or from memorizing games but from his own experiences yeah uh, that was the an incredible uh, revelation for me uh, because we uh, grew up in certain ways we had certain uh, preconceived notions about playing chess uh, quite often some of the advisors were uh, not to play too many blitz games not to you know uh play to uh, too many tournaments look at the classics study the classics there were there were just so many preconceived notions but when i started my uh, training journey sometime in 2015 2016 i uh, prefer to start with a cleaner slate you know not to impose my views on uh, the kids who are growing incredibly well on their own but to just uh, observe and learn from them in a certain way and uh, i found that what uh, nihal was already doing was uh, incredibly useful for him it was very effective he was uh, growing uh, quite well and uh, i decided to just experiment and try things with an open mind it turned out that it was not just nihal who was getting better and and improving but uh, i also gained uh, strength of about 75 to 100 points i started out at around 2470 when i started training him and uh, i was able to get to about 2570 at my peak so it really made me question the assumptions and preconceived notions that we uh, used to have about chess training and improvement and uh, it felt like a generation of kids were growing up with this particular training style of just playing lots of uh, games online at uh, the blitz time control but with uh, a lot of focused attention and they were able to learn uh, a lot from it they were able to learn uh, and improve really well so uh, yeah it it really helped uh, to know that there isn't one particular way necessarily to get better at chess that's fascinating and for the own for the own jump that you alluded to the the 100 points you gained in your mid 20s did you were you emulating them and also playing more online blitz uh, so it was uh, simply that i was uh, spending a lot of time with nihat so i was naturally playing a lot of games with him and uh, just uh, spending time with nihat uh, although he improved a lot during that time i, I also learned a lot from him during my uh, time spent training with him and uh, I didn't play as much online as they did but uh, yeah I uh, I did I did emulate certain parts of it I stopped uh, I didn't you know solve uh, positions as much as I used to and 
overall uh, my approach towards uh, training uh, the perspective changed a lot during these times when i spent working with them it's it's so fascinating you know we've we've been trying to figure out the best ways to get better at chess for so long and it feels like we're just you know for every example there's always a counter example it's uh it's it's so challenging to know uh know what to advise and uh how how uh adult uh amateurs should even spend their time if they're uh if they're looking to improve now one follow up uh Srinathan, on this idea of just the both of these players uh making great gains just from playing training games and playing blitz games uh what is their approach after each game is is nihal like just playing a binge of games and reviewing them later reviewing them after each game or not necessarily reviewing them at all uh no uh it's usually a, bun- a binge of games because uh, if you review after each game you kind of lose the flow so it's usually a bunch of games and uh uh then review post that and uh, this is this is where i stepped in quite a few times when i would uh, you know giving him uh, uh almost close to real time feedback whenever uh, i would uh, i would be observing his games from uh, sitting behind him and once he uh, finished with his games i would uh, give him direct feedback on uh, where he could have done better during those games and uh, it was really easy for me back then because uh, i was uh, close to 2500 he was around 2300 and uh, there was uh, i probably knew more than him in almost uh, every aspect at that time so uh, i could give those real time feedbacks and then uh, nihal had this amazing ability to take that feedback and implement it almost immediately so i would show him some new opening or new concept and you would see him playing it right there and then in the next game so uh, he had this amazing ability and uh, uh, this is how it used to work the feedback used to be close to instantaneous and he would immediately implement it so uh, incrementally he was learning uh, uh, new things almost uh, every couple of hours and uh, getting better that way amazing okay srinath we got a lot of topics i'd like to hit so just one more question on the topic of uh, these youth standouts and On October 7th you tweeted, "Got to say I love it when people say good things about Christopher Yu. It almost feels like I'm being praised myself." So, what was uh what what do you recall what um motivated that tweet? Oh, no, that was just a little pun on uh, you. Ah, Basically. okay. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Went over my head when I read it. It, it's, funny. it's 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 a steal from the rush hour basically. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um excellent. Okay, well, we're going to uh transition to discussing uh Srinas chessable courses which also will encompass some chess improvement advice, uh but first we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by our presenting chess education sponsors chessable.com. Chessable of course uses space repetition to help you remember tactical patterns, opening sequences, whatever aspect of your game that you're working on and they have a huge library of awesome courses so whatever it is you want to work on, there's a good chance you can find something to help you on Chessable. Some of their latest includes a lifetime repertoires course on the London from Grandmaster Sahaj Grover and Srinath Narayanan. Now 
I don't want you to play in London personally, but if you're going to do it, then this is a good learning resource. Uh, Grandmaster Alex Cholovich has a new course on Bobby Fischer's Endgames. Of course, uh, the legend RB Ramesh's Improve Your Chess Calculation if you really want to challenge yourself. So there's always tons to check out from chessable.com. They have lots of free courses to check out as well. So just be sure to go to Chessable, get a streak going, and see what they have to offer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And uh, Srinath, you and uh, Grandmaster Sahaj Grover have managed to get your hands on uh, creating... Lifetime repertoires for two of the, to my mind, the best. And, uh, you know, I think they're both increasing in popularity, at least at the amateur level. The Catalan's obviously already been extremely popular at the elite level. But two lifetime repertoires for two of the uh, most testing non-mainline D4 uh, openings. Um, for listeners who might be interested, how would you compare and contrast the London and the Catalan? Uh, I think the London is a simpler opening, first of all. It's uh, it's easier to just, you know, uh, know the setups. D4, bishop f4, uh, e3, knight f3. You delay the push of the c2 pawn because we want to get uh, c4 directly. But yeah, uh, there, are, there are a lot of subtleties and nuances within the London system. But uh, I feel that relatively, if you compare to the two openings, London and Catalan, uh, London is a simpler opening. It's it's just easier to study it and go out and play. Uh, in terms of the courses, uh, London is also a smaller opening, so you can uh, spend less time to learn it, and you're ready to go out and play. Uh, the Catalan is, uh, I think, strategically a bit more complex. You need to spend a bit more time learning it, but uh, I think it's one of the most uh, it's one of the most unpleasant openings for uh, black out there because uh, white gets this bishop on g2 and uh, there's always this strategic bind on the black's queen side the b7 pawn so black has this issue of developing the queen side pieces the c8 bishop the b8 knight in the early middle game in almost all the different setups that black can get and uh, yeah, so it's. I think it's one of the most um, unpleasant openings that you can face. It it, it will it will take uh, a bit longer to learn uh, the Catalan opening. So if uh, if you're uh, you know uh, looking for a simpler option, then I think London is the opening for you. But if you're uh, looking for a more uh, complex option, which or if you're looking at uh, things on a slightly higher level, then uh, I think Catalan is uh, the better bet yeah i agree it's pretty unpleasant to face <laughs> i can't argue with you there and and yeah the london is as you you sort of allude to in in the course and both of them are are excellent by the way um it's it's become so so popular because partially because since white struggles to get a significant advantage anyway at least at least in this case it's it's relatively 
easier to learn and uh, you can get to fresh positions earlier. But the the sort of counter of that is as like a, a you know amateur 2100 player, I've seen the London so much now that it's sort of become mainline and I feel reasonably comfortable. Whereas with the Catalan, since I'm not quite at the like international master level where you might see it all the time, um, I'm I have less experience and thus uh, thus I'm worse against it. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. The London has become so mainstream that it has become one of the main lines. And uh, but but still, nevertheless, there are there are still uh, quite a few nuances. Like I just pointed out, uh, uh, especially with the starting move orders. And uh, if you see uh, in the course, we uh, have this particular move order where uh, we develop uh, the bishop on f4 first, then the knight to f3, and the pawn stays on c2. There is also an approach where white starts with uh, c3 early on. This was the approach taken by Grandmaster Lee Kwang in his uh, uh, lifetime repertoire on London. And uh, what this does is it discourages black from playing c5 because white can capture the pawn on c5 and uh, support it with the pawn on b4. So there are uh, many of these subtleties and nuances, which is what makes London uh, one of the most effective openings even at the highest level. You see. Uh, uh, Arjun Nihal use it quite extensively with uh, all these little variations uh, changed between games, little variations in more order. And uh, there is still a lot to learn here, which can give you that uh, edge against your uh, opponent. Yeah, I enjoyed the uh, the Robert Frost, the road not taken reference that you say uh, governs your approach to designing these courses. Could you could you uh, elaborate on that for our listeners, Srinath? Uh, yeah, so uh, when it comes to opening preparation, um, I think one of the most effective but uh, well-known approaches is to deviate as early as you can from the known, uh, from the known theory where most of the mainstream games are gone. So you try to deviate as early as you can and uh, now you start analyzing. So let's say you make a new move on uh, move 5 that is a lot more effective than a new move on move 15 because first of all the probability of the position uh, reaching in that variation up to move 15 is a lot lesser. If you have a new something new on move 5 you can uh, get things in early much uh, with a much better probability so higher chances of it appearing in your games. So the cha the uh, idea or the approach is to deviate as early as you can, but to analyze them quite deeply. So you are ahead of your opponent, but uh, it's still it's still a sound. Uh, it's still a sound uh, idea. So even if your opponent plays all the best moves, you're still not getting worse or uh, you still keep some pressure, you still keep a game going. So this is the this is the approach that uh, in general, uh, I've been following in these uh, courses to deviate as early as you can, but uh, analyze quite deeply. Makes sense. Yeah, the, the Robert Frost uh, poem in question closes with, uh, quote, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages, hence two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And here we are, Srinath, ages and ages hence, and uh, applying it to chess. So yeah, really, really struck a chord, and and you can see it in the course. Um, so another question I had related to the course, the course is really is you mentioned 
um, in one of them that some of your advice, and this came up earlier, is to play a lot of games to learn an opening. Now, obviously, in your work with some of these top young talents in the world, uh, they can find training partners. Uh, you yourself were able to be a training partner until they became 2700s. Um, so, but what would you advise for amateur players? Is it okay to spar against computers or is it better to try to find a friend if you're trying to practice a certain opening? No, I think it's not ideal to spar against computers because uh, then things get very artificial. The computer uh, plays and beats you in a way which, uh, you know, uh, so essentially, we are preparing uh, whatever we are doing is towards, uh, you know, winning games in tournaments or, you know, winning games against opponents. And uh, the computer plays in a way which uh, is not quite relevant to how humans play. So the relevance of uh, the training being applied in a tournament game becomes quite less that way. It's ideal to play against fellow human opponents. Now, ideal if you have a friend who's... Uh, who has a similar strength to you and uh, that would be a good learning experience for both both the people involved even when i uh, try and pick up a new opening in uh, uh, like for example if i try to pick something new today that i want to play in sometime i would uh, you know try and ask someone uh, to play some training games with me even before i uh, start looking into variations to just try and get a feel of uh, the positions or uh, that comes up in the games or you know a mix of both i start looking at some games look try and know what are the options from the starting position which i want to learn and understand and uh, then i play some games then i come back i check those games see my mistakes uh, start building some lines and uh, then go back and try it again in the games this would be uh, my approach in uh, learning something new now if you're not able to access someone who can play with you uh, then I think uh, it's still okay to just go online, pick your uh, favorite time control. Uh, 3 plus 0, if you're already uh, quite good at chess, then I think this time control can work really well for people. Uh, they can uh, get really good at uh, playing uh, strong moves with less time with a bit of practice. But uh, I think most people can do it uh, beyond a certain uh, rating level. Let's say beyond uh, Fiery 2200 or 2000. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where to draw the rating uh, limits here uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, I haven't uh, done uh, a substantial statistical experiment on uh, at which level this works best, but also ratings across uh, countries vary a lot. Until a certain point, it's a closed system of people playing against each other from a particular country. So a 1600 in India and uh, a 2200 in uh, somewhere in Europe is uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, indicative of their uh, playing strength. The rating, I think, uh, it really varies according to the the close system of opponents they are facing. But yeah, uh, getting back three plus zero if you're uh, already quite proficient, or uh, something like ten plus zero, fifteen plus ten. Um, there, are, there are just different time controls, 5 plus 3. If you prefer to have a bit of an increment, it can be 5 plus 3, uh, 7 plus 2, any any kind of increment. Uh, people can be really flexible with uh, the training according to the specific needs they have. 
if they need to spend if the position is particularly complex and they need a bit of time then it makes sense to have something like 15 minutes because if you have less time you're going to spend most of your time on the first few moves from that position but if it's a simple enough position where you're just trying to get a feel then uh, uh, having less time uh, will be i think more uh, beneficial because you can get more games in and uh, just playing a lot of games quickly and going over a lot of games quickly will help uh, better at identifying uh, the common patterns patterns like where the pieces go in a particular structure what pawn structure arises and uh, the typical pawn breaks or the typical uh, strategic operations involving uh, the pawns or the pieces these kind of patterns it gets registered better when we do things fast because I think we hold them in a certain kind of a temporary memory. So it becomes easier to make those connections when we are, uh, you know, going through things quickly. That's great advice. And with your courses in particular, um, do you recommend learning the quick starter first or just diving in and playing? Uh, I think, yeah, go to the quick starter first. Uh, then, you know, just get some games in to get a feel of the positions get back to uh, once uh, by that time i think people would have a decent idea of uh, how to uh, get those first few moves in then get back to studying uh, some of the main chapters now if you have a friend uh, or if you have a sparring partner i think one approach would be to you know pick one chapter get to the starting position play through a few games then uh, get back, look at the lines, see where you have made mistakes or where you can improve. And uh, I think it's also very useful to just go over uh, the games of the top players from that setup pretty quickly, uh, especially in the setup that we are aiming to play in that particular uh, chapter or particular setup. Uh, so these these are the steps I would uh, recommend ideally. Get, get those games in uh, position by position, one by setup by setup and uh, mix it up with uh, the studying part. Okay, excellent advice. Well, Srinath, these courses, again, I, I really don't want to, I see the London enough and I don't want to face the Catalan, so it goes against my interest to recommend them, but you and uh, Grandmaster Sahaj Grover did a fantastic job. So listeners who, uh, who play these openings anyway, uh, definitely recommend you check them out. And one thing I admired um, about it is, uh, naturally, I gravitated. I didn't have time to review the entire courses, so I gravitated towards stuff that I play as black. And I've, I've been playing the uh, early bishop d6 line against the London. And in one of the core variations, and you did take a road less traveled early on, as you say, and in one of the core variations, you reach a critical point where you say, uh, we tried as hard as we could to find an advantage for white, but we couldn't. That's how modern chess goes. And then you found something that doesn't lead to an engine advantage, but uh, still was rather testing. And I was like, wow, that's still going to be a lot of work for me to learn as black. So I admired that uh, that honesty that I think is necessary these days with uh, how good engines are and openings. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Ben. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you basically... Uh... We see this in correspondence or uh, chess for quite a few years now with best play chess is a draw. And uh, if you go deep enough, the evaluations are going to be 0, 0.00. But uh, even if Stockfish says it's 0, 0.00, not all zeros are equal is what I uh, tell people all the time. And uh, this is not just uh, 
at the lower levels but you know even at the level that arjun plays uh, not all zeros are equal every position is different from the perspective of a computer and very different from the perspective of human so if you just remove the stockfish component and look at things from human eyes i mean we all know how incredibly complex chess is it's been out for many years some of the best brains uh, in the world have played chess and we still have a fascinating uh, game out there with so many unknowns uh, so when we uh, look at when we look at a position uh, f- from outside of the perspective of stockfish it uh, it really changes and uh, the chess we play over the board it still is the same we uh, can't get the help of stockfish so people are uh, solving problems with only their own brain and uh, i think this creates just so much room to find interesting things which is unpleasant to, to our opponent and is not likely to have uh, been checked by them with their computers Great. Yeah. Great advice there. And yeah, there's still so much to explore. Um, without revealing too many secrets, Srinath, um, aside from your chessable courses, are there any uh, opening battlegrounds that you're particularly interested in right now across the chess spectrum? Uh, to be honest, I don't have any uh, particular uh, uh, particular uh, biases towards openings. I, uh, I just fa- find them fascinating overall. And uh, even when I picked uh, my first ever uh, chessable course, which was the Catalan, sometime in 2020, I just told uh, Geert, uh, with whom I had the first meeting, that uh, it's my job to work on pretty much any opening in chess. So I'm pretty flexible with my options. Just give me any opening which you think will uh, help uh, uh, fill the gap in chessable, and I'd be happy to work on it, which is how uh, the Catalan started. And uh, that's that's how we agreed on the uh, opening in the first place. So uh, I don't I don't particularly have uh, biases towards any particular opening. And uh, in my own playing career, I think I played I started with one e for almost eighty five percent of my career till about twenty seventeen, starting from two thousand. But uh, here you see I have two lifetime repertoires starting with one d four. Got to make you tougher to face, even though you're. Are you? Do you consider yourself retired or semi-retired as a competitor, Srinath? Uh, I think semi-retired. Uh, I I still. Uh, I think it's still important to play to keep yourself in shape and uh, to have the perspective of you know just a player's perspective, which you can uh, so easily lose if you're working uh, only off. Uh, only on computers, only with engines. I think it's become so easy to lose the player perspective. So I think I think it's something like physical exercise. You have to. Uh, I find that I have to play uh, frequently just to stay in shape. And uh, yeah, so I think I think it's an important component. Although I'm not uh, ambitious the way I used to be when uh, I used to play before I was a trainer. Now it's more of a fun activity, some kind of a break from my regular work where I'm just uh, going there, playing as a student of chess, trying to just learn more about uh, chess rather than uh, trying to become a 2600 or uh, any such uh, aims, which I might have had in the past. It's probably a bit more uh, relaxing. And do you have any tournaments for yourself on your calendar? 
Uh, yeah, so I'm playing the World Rapid and Blitz, which is uh, oh, fun. during the Christmas. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's it's a bit of a challenging decision for me, Ben, <laughs> because, you know, I'm so woefully out of shape, uh, especially post-pandemic, uh, which is which is something uh, we uh, probably, uh, which is something more relevant to the first part of the podcast when we were, uh, you know, discussing about the exponential rise of the juniors. And somehow during the pandemic, it, it feels like the older people, they found more other things to do. Whereas the juniors, they kept grinding on chess, they kept working on chess. And um, I myself expanded a lot during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, after the pandemic, I started a YouTube channel. I started doing uh, uh, a couple of chessable courses, which uh, really take a lot of hours. And um, during the process, uh, I think I've lost, I've lost shape considerably, which which exposes you a lot more in the shorter formats. Now, in classical, you can get away with things. You don't have to be as sharp. Uh, you you know, you're going to get good, decent. You can work your way through getting decent positions from the opening uh, with preparation time that you have uh, in between games. And uh, even if you're slow, the chess strategic understanding really helps you uh, because there's a 30 second increment and it's not as demanding. But in Rapid and Blitz, you have to be uh, quite sharp. You have to be in shape or uh, you just end up making blunders and substandard moves. So it is it is a, it is going to be, I think, quite challenging for me, uh, especially with a minimum rating requirement of 2550. So I'm going to be in the bottom half of the field. And I don't, I don't really feel uh, in shape as much as I used to in 2019. But uh, with the world opening up, I'm I'm kind of trying to get back to a more I, I'm trying to get myself work myself back into shape and uh, also to experience uh, first hand playing against some of the best players in the world which will uh, again help me understand uh, both the chess aspects better and also the human aspects of my opponents. Well, I admire the competitive drive as you say it's it's playing is not your profession anymore but but to be willing to put yourself forth um i think is uh is admirable and uh regular listeners will have heard me say this many times but for any newer listeners though the fide world rapid and blitz is just such a fun tournament you see a lot of the online blitz stars uh competing in blitz and rapid over the board uh as well as of course the stalwarts like uh Magnus and uh, Wesley So and so on. And um, are you at liberty to say, Srinath, will uh, Grandmaster Sarin and Eric Gacy or any other of your prominent students also be attending? Uh, yes, they will uh, certainly be attending. And uh, I don't I don't really expect them to miss that one particular tournament. They love yeah. playing academic <laughs> blitz. Uh, they yeah. love the faster formats. So they, they'll, they'll, be they'll be fun to watch. Yeah, Absolutely. they'll be fun to watch there. Um, okay, well, one more thing, one more topic I want to get to. Uh, I would like to get your take on the Hans Niemann story and cheating generally. Um, but first, we're going to take one more break and hear from our sponsors. 
I've been due for an update from our friends at aimchess.com. Aimchess, of course, gathers games from the major chess playing sites and gives you actionable intel of what aspects of your game to work on, and it helps you work on them. Uh, I've been working on some new openings in my Blitz game. It turns out I'm doing pretty decently with those new openings. Of course, I've got to keep them a secret from you guys, Um, but I still have some other things to work on. Time management, slightly better, but lots and lots of room to improve. Uh, I also need to work on advantage capitalization and resourcefulness. On the other hand, my end games are doing well and my openings are doing well overall. So if you're looking for that kind of insight as well as puzzles of tactics that you missed and chances to practice positions you didn't convert, then try out aimchess.com. If you do so, please use the code perpetual30 at aimchess.com. The link is also in the show description. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And Srinath, uh, here on the podcast, of course, I've been covering the Hans Niemann story as it unfolds. Um, I'm... um, I'm an open-minded sort of person, so even though I, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily defending Hans's character, if I or some of the people I've interviewed have uh, suggested circumspection in terms of judging uh, his actions. Uh, but you had a tweet thread on September 27th that suggested to me that maybe um, at minimum, um, you might be judging things slightly more harshly or at least disposed in that direction. I'll read the first uh, tweet, but uh, and then point towards the whole thing if listeners want to check it out. But it began with first up, enormous respect to Magnus. We all knew cheating was a serious problem. We all knew it was rampant. We all kept quiet, not knowing exactly how to go about it. Magnus spoke about it, and in a way that the world had no option to take notice. The action spoke loud, uh, and it continues from there. So I'm I'm curious. So one thing that I wondered about with regard to that is. Obviously, it did bring this this serious issue to um, to the public discourse in a loud way. But do you feel that this was the best way for Magnus to have done this? Uh, I mean, hindsight has a twenty twenty vision. But um, at that point, uh, I, I I feel that uh, you know Magnus coming out and making a statement was better than uh, uh, just silently suffering this whole thing. Because if he did that. Uh, I think the whole thing, uh, the whole uh, cheating thing wouldn't have been discussed as much. And uh, it's what people have been doing for a long time, uh, just being silent about things, which essentially uh, brings no change at all. So in those circumstances, I uh, don't really disapprove of the way uh, Magnus went about uh, things in uh, this this particular instance. Okay. And had you heard... Had you heard things about Hans Niemann in particular prior to this whole incident? Uh, I had absolutely no idea at all. Um, to be honest, yeah, I had absolutely no idea. I uh, have been teammates with Hans for uh, during the Proces League. We played for uh, Norway Gnomes. I have been also observing him playing online for quite a long time. And uh, I quite liked his play. I thought he was a very impressive junior, very fast, uh, prone to 
some brilliancies and also some meltdowns, complete meltdowns, uh, completely obvious blenders. So the only thing I noticed when I was going through his games was that uh, there was there was a lot of disparity between uh, some of his brilliant games, and there were there were moments where uh, there was a big strength difference in some of the games that uh, he was playing. There were some absolutely uh, weaker games, and there were some uh, just fantastic games. But aside from that, I had uh, absolutely no idea at all, and uh, I didn't I didn't even. Uh, begin to suspect that uh, Hans might have used uh, external assistance in any of his games online or over the board. Okay, and when you refer to the disparity of his games, are you referring to both online and OTB or one in particular? Uh, mainly mainly OTB. Uh, mainly OTB okay. when I was uh, you know, preparing against Hans when Arjun was facing him in Sweden. This is when I had a closer look at uh, Hans's games and uh, I felt that... Uh, there was there was a bit of an inconsistency in his play, and uh, I uh, I felt that he was not as strong as his uh, rating was at that time. He was I think around uh, twenty six forty five or something. He had just won uh, a tournament in Cuba, and he was rapidly rising. But I felt that Arjun was uh, clearly stronger. But uh, during the game, he just absolutely outplayed Arjun and uh, ended up winning this tournament. So, uh, yeah, uh, around, around this point, this was the impression I had. Okay, yeah, and that tournament in Cuba, of course, was one where uh, the, the statistical models did were quite impressed with his play. Um, <clears throat> did you ask Arjun if there was anything, um, did he notice anything unusual during the course of the game? Uh, no, at that point, we had absolutely uh, no reason to suspect Hans at all. Uh, he's 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 i think he's a very strong player in general he's very good and uh, uh, some of his strengths uh, are also uh, not what you would associate with someone uh, using external assistance for instance he has the ability to play incredibly fast which are not uh, the engine's top choices but which uh, present unpleasant practical problems to the opponent so uh, at that time we had uh, absolutely no reason to suspect uh, uh, Hans at all. Uh, the whole uh, debate started when uh, Sinkfield uh, Cup happened, basically. And how has your thinking changed at all in the subsequent months? Um, how, how What have you thought of the story as it has developed, going from allegations to no concrete proof, but still lots of allegations and now a lawsuit? Uh, to be honest, uh, I uh, I do uh, Magnus's human intuition. I do uh, place. I I do find it credible uh, the intuition that Magnus has, because uh, I mean it's it's a very very tricky topic. It's very uh, tricky to know for sure about uh, these things. But uh, the human intuition that Magnus had, the way he was uh, describing uh, how he felt uh, Hans was during their game and uh, the chess.com report, Hans himself admitting that he had uh, uh, 
uh, cheated a few times uh, online his self confession uh, all these things played a role in uh, shaping my perspective of uh, the whole incident so when i heard it first i felt that it was just innocent until proven guilty and uh, there was not uh, there was not a lot of fire but uh, later uh, with hans's self confession and uh, the chess.com report and all the other things adding up uh, i uh, started to have a bit of a shift in perspective that uh, it might have happened or it might not have but i no longer have uh, you know a very clear answer to what could have been okay yeah the, that's reasonable and as i've said before uh, i don't think anyone other than hans and maybe a co-conspirator if there were one can can know for certain so it's really just a question of like do you think there's a does one think there's a you know 10% chance he cheated over the board or a 90% chance but it shouldn't be zero or 100 <laughs> um, oh yeah absolutely absolutely um, and to be honest uh, we can only make judgments on uh, the information that we have uh, which makes all the difference and uh, according to the information we have right now it's clear that uh, hans uh, violated fair play uh, online i mean he confessed it uh, himself and it's clear that uh, as far as over the board uh, plays concerned uh, he's clean for the moment based on the information we have yeah well said and and the better he plays the more convincing it it, it will be um and one other topic related to cheating uh your colleague grandmaster sl naryanan recently tweeted about an experience he had in the bundesliga uh where he was searched kind of relentlessly the metal detector was going off before a game um but they couldn't find the source of it um so uh i'll i'll read a uh I'll read a part of it. Um, the metal detector beeped again and again when the other player's foot was scanned. It prompted the arbiter to check the floor. It was the carpeted floor that was triggering the beep and not any human. He, the arbiter apologized to me, but it was embarrassing. And mind you, this happened just minutes before the round. Um, so, you know, and there's more to it. I'll link to it for listeners to read. But obviously there's this um, Pandora's box opening with with as you say, we do need to pay more attention to cheating, but do you have any uh, firm convictions of uh, the proper way where players don't feel demeaned in terms of uh, the way that they're checked before the game, but players can also feel secure that uh, engine assistance is not uh, being used somehow? Uh, so in this particular instance, I uh, felt that uh, it was probably a better idea to you know uh, have the search at... Uh more private setting rather than the, in the tournament hall in front of everyone now this was not during the game this was before the game and uh, this was just five players being randomly searched so i think it is it is practically possible to have a private enclosure to uh, you know uh, have, to have a proper search and also to see that each uh, individual is comfortable during the search uh, of course, it's really important that we have anti-cheating measures, but uh, also I think there can be uh, uh, ways to improve the process. We are we are we are still in, we are still very new in the world of chess uh, with this whole thing. 
and uh, with time i think we'll get better trained in both the technical aspects of you know using the equipments to detect uh, any uh, foreign uh, equipment and also in terms of uh, the sensibilities of people involved when they undergo uh, search yeah it's uh, i agree it's going to take time and as a trainer um when your students play in these big open tournaments uh how how worried are you about cheating in like a given open tournament uh so so far i haven't uh, i think it depends on the tournament uh, you you kind of see these things uh, for example uh, is there uh, is there any obvious uh, way for the player to have uh, something on the way to the washroom on the way from outside the tournament area or how well controlled it is how uh, well the arbiter is observing things i uh, feel that uh, having some uh, basics followed no electronic equipments allowed on the player uh, and uh, you know having uh, the path from the playing area to the washroom being clear of any easy sources of external help happening a few basics like this followed will uh, be a big deterrent it will make uh, uh, cheating uh, more difficult over the board and it would require things to be more sophisticated if anyone wants to take the risk so i think i think you kind of see it in these opens you kind of feel it uh, you see how uh, the tournament is organized and uh, you get a feel of it and uh, so it 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 really depends on the tournament okay yeah so much still to be sorted unfortunately um <laughs> with oh with yeah regards. absolutely it's 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 by no means an easy problem to uh, face and um, the technology has got incredibly sophisticated um that uh, it it has become i think more and more difficult to detect any uh, such thing but that said uh, but i i do feel that uh, the human intuition in detecting body language it uh, you can you can really add things up for instance uh, arjun had this game against nihal where he played like 35 best moves with opening preparation and um, the way arjun played it it's it's very believable because he's someone who has that kind of opening preparation and uh, that kind of confidence that kind of way he played uh, you you kind of you kind of add things up and uh, it doesn't feel uh, unusual but uh, for instance if i had the same uh, kind of consistent result then it would it would it would feel off you know because you are uh, you have seen me playing in a certain way at a certain level and uh, to have that kind of a difference people would feel off the human intuition and you can also get other kinds of information from just observing a person playing just their body language the kind of confidence they display when they make moves and how it uh, adds up with the consistency of the past behavior yeah again it's unfortunate that that's where we are but it, it makes sense and obviously nothing's going to be perfect anyone can like maybe someone knows 135 move line and it happens to happen over the board but yeah obviously 
the weight of the evidence can accumulate in one direction or another based on someone's chest strength. Um, uh, just one or two more questions, uh, Grandmasters 3 Nuth. I'm curious, obviously, you've got a very busy life working with your your top players, sometimes chaperoning them as well. But I'm curious uh, what how you what you're interested in outside of chess when you have those uh, rare opportunities to uh, to relax. Uh, I mostly, uh, whenever I get a break, I try to just spend time with uh, the important people in my life. And uh, it can be anything. It can just be hanging out with them, talking to them, um, and uh, watching stuff together or uh, just going to some nice place in nature, uh, you know, it's like some mountains or something. And uh, aside from that, uh, the time when I'm uh, by myself, I uh, I just do the usual things that people do, Netflix or uh, just uh, reading something. Although uh, my reading has become uh, a lot less since uh, online streaming has uh, taken off in the last few years. But still, there are times when I'm without internet, like uh, when I'm on a flight or something, and then uh, uh, I read up a bit. Yeah, hearing you discuss online streaming, um, obviously, Grandmaster Anand, uh, absolute legend and known to be one of the most famous people in India. But these young talents that that you're working with regularly, um, what what degree of notoriety are they getting in India? Like, what what's ha, have their lives changed significantly in the past two years? I don't think so. Um, they haven't. Uh, I don't think it has reached a point where it. Uh, has an impact on their uh, everyday lives. Like I certainly uh, uh, don't see a lot of instances where they would be uh, recognized when they are walking around or you know when they are uh, out in some public place. So I think they are they're still having those um, uh, fun times when uh, they can literally do whatever they want and their personal life is stays personal. Good. Uh, glad to hear it. Glad to hear that. Uh that they're, they're still able to lead normal lives. Um, and my last question, Grandmaster Srinath, is just if you have any, I'm sure you get asked this all the time. So what's your general advice for ambitious amateurs? Maybe someone spending 10 hours a week on chess, but no illusions of becoming a professional. Uh, what What should they focus their time on if they're looking to get better? I think firstly, the most important thing is uh, they should have fun uh, doing the process. Uh, everyone has, you know, uh, everyone enjoys a different aspect of working on chess. So for some people, they really enjoy uh, just solving positions, which can also be an effective way of training. The traditional method just improves your calculation. It improves, uh, uh, it keeps you in shape in terms of uh, your thought process. Or if you just enjoy uh, Playing a lot, that is also an effective method of training in my experience. So I think uh, the first and foremost advice, uh, just have fun with what you're doing, which will uh, be an important factor in uh, terms of uh, how they're able to give that focused attention on what they are doing. So when we measure time of 10 hours, uh, the more... uh, Time is one unit of measuring, but another unit is uh, the amount of attention given on uh, given during the study, and this focused int- uh, this focused attention becomes a lot more uh, intense and uh, 
clearer when uh, they're enjoying what they're doing. So that would be the first thing. And um, aside from that, uh, I think it really helps to be, uh, it really helps to focus on the chess part of working on chess in the sense that, you know, you're focusing on, uh, let's say you're studying an example. I would say, you know, it's more important to just focus on uh, where the pieces go, how the pawn structure is, rather than uh, some kind of a generic comment, a generic example. If uh, if you read something like the pair of bishops advantage, the knowledge becomes effective, the information becomes effective only if it is backed up by examples on how exactly it is used. The examples of games, examples of the theme on how exactly it is used. That is what uh, becomes a part of understanding. And without it, the information can uh, become counterproductive even because we are making decisions based on uh, some kind of superficial understanding. So yeah. uh, enjoy what you're doing and just focus on the chess part. Now, uh, one book which had a very, very profound influence on me on uh, improving uh, in chess is the book called Move First, Think Later by Willie Hendricks. Uh, I, I think that yeah. was, a, yeah, that was, I, that's, that's one of my favorite books. And uh, I remember I was uh, struggling with back form and whenever I lost, I used to wonder uh, if I'm just a back chess player in general. And during one of these moments, I was uh, reading this book, which completely uh, reshaped my perspective on where chess understanding originates from. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Uh, and he has a new book out about Steinitz and Blackburn that I've been uh, meaning to check out. But yeah, definitely an, an original thinker. And, and that's some uh, fantastic advice. Thank you, Srinath. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, he, also, he also had sure. another book uh, uh, on the origin of chess moves or something like this. Yeah, I've got the origin of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was also fascinated by that. It's, it's always uh, lovely and thought provoking to read his work. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, Grandmaster Srinath, this has been fantastic, very insightful. Congratulations on your success and the success of your students. It's um, it must be um, um, interesting times for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Ben. Uh, it's interesting and it's also uh, incredibly exciting and uh, some of the I think best times of my life. Yeah, and hopefully only just the beginning. It, cer it certainly looks that way. Um, and obviously, you're busy across uh, media spectrums, as you mentioned, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Twitter. Is there anywhere else in particular that, that listeners should, should look to follow you? So I think I'd, uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter, but um, I do um, come on YouTube once in a while. And uh, I'm also there on my Instagram where you can find updates on whatever I'm up to. Okay, yeah, and I enjoyed your little weekly news show on YouTube. Are you, do you think you'll be able to keep that up with your busy schedule? Oh, yeah, that is one thing I'm uh, really looking forward to keeping things up because uh, I, ha I had this wonderful connect with the people when uh, I was able to stream regularly during the pandemic. When the tournaments resumed and uh, when things started becoming busier, it became a lot more challenging to find time to uh, spend on YouTube or uh, Discord with the, you know, with the community. 
but uh, I, I i really don't want to lose touch with them completely so i i try to set aside at least um, something like 2 to 5 hours a week just uh, just to keep this connection going excellent okay well i will link to uh, everything that we discussed in the show description as always and uh, oh last question grandmaster srinath um so you've got the world rapid and blitz at the end of december or do do you have any chess travels before then uh no uh, uh so okay. i think before that it's just going to be uh, mostly training and uh, then uh, arjun will play in the vikanzi the tata steel so that's going yeah, to be an amazing. incredibly exciting tournament too yeah yeah stacked lineup it should be fun okay well i've kept you long enough thank you so much this has been uh, very insightful and enjoyable thank you thank you thank you so much and likewise Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.